0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Wrong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season this Friday, February the 18th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Matthew chapter 18. Have you ever heard someone gently or sometimes not so gently say something about um, somebody else kind of saying, oh, I can't believe this person is doing this sin or doing that sin. And then somebody in the room, especially if you're a pastor or other church worker, will say, Matthew 18. Well, today we're going to kind of look at why that comes up. Or somebody is in the narthex and they're they're about to go into church and people are talking, 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 talking. and, And they're all excited, four or five of them are around, and someone says, or two or three are gathered. Just kind of fun little talks that you'll see as Christian people that definitely are true, but what's the context? Why do we say it that way? And what does it mean for us today as we look to Christ? We're going to find out great words of our Lord Jesus, and especially as our Lord pursues us. Can't wait to dig in, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome we welcome for the first time Pastor Nick Koshman of St. Excuse me, not St. Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Forest Grove, Oregon. Pastor Koshman, happy Epiphany and welcome to Thy Strong Word
1: having me, and if my understanding is is correct, I am your first Oregonian.
0: You are the first Oregonian, and I made sure I said it right. Most Minnesotans will say Oregon, but Oregon, right? Am I saying that (laughs) right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, And, and hopefully I do the state well. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: It is a joy. And pastor, you know, this is really a historical event for two reasons. Number one is that you are the first person from Oregon. Now, before my time, you know, my predecessors had people from Oregon, but this is the first time since I've had someone from Oregon, but also today, not to be outdone, you know, of course, is today is the commemoration of Martin Luther when he passed away in 1546 You know, we know the famous words of Martin Luther before he died. The the tradition has it that before he died, he said, we are beggars, this is true. So it's a good reminder for us that not only did Martin Luther say that, but it also is applicable to you and I today. We are beggars, this is true. We have nothing to bring except God's word and the cross of Christ. So, Pastor, on that light, um, tell us about yourself. You've never been on with me, so tell us about you, your family, and the saints at Mount Olive Lutheran Church
1: yeah uh, so I, uh, my my wife Rachel and I we met uh, back back in the 1900s, well in the late <laughs> 1900s 99, uh, uh, at, at uh, Concordia River Forest, uh, now Concordia Chicago. Uh, we didn't start dating until uh, our senior year. Uh, after we graduated, she went to Taiwan for a year with Lutheran World missions and I started at the seminary in the fall of '03. Of uh, we got married uh, during our second year and then headed off to Vicarage in the beautiful state of Wisconsin, up in God's country, uh, uh, nearby the greatest football team, the Packers, uh, <laughs> up at uh, Bethany Lutheran Church in Kakana, and that's where our, our eldest child was born, uh, Lucy, uh, and then uh, came back to the seminary, and my first call was to St. Paul Trenton. Uh, served with some amazing pastors there and learned uh, so much. That's also where our next three kids were born. Uh, Murray, Ginny, and Wiley. So we've got four uh, kids of our own. Uh, served at St. At Paul for seven years uh, before getting the call out here to, uh, to Mount Olive. And I remember getting the phone call, you know, the, the feeler phone call for the interview. And you know, I, when I answered the phone, my wife saw the look on my face. They're like, okay, this is a church. She's like, where? And I said, Forest Grove, Oregon. She's like, where's that? And I said, I had to look it up because I'd never heard of it. And I said, oh, it's near Portland. And, and her exact words were uh, well go ahead and take the interview it's not like you're gonna accept the call if you get it but it'll be good you know practice for that that church just a little bit closer to her parents house you know whenever I get that call mm-hmm. um, but of course you know God had different plans and we came out uh, ended up receiving the call and uh, you know there are still days we wake up and say we live in Oregon that's just so strange but uh, we cannot imagine living anywhere else we've been here for uh, seven and a half years now. Uh, and again, just learning so much both as a uh, sole pastor, but also, you know, serving in a different region where I think sometimes out on the West Coast, you know, people have this, oh, we're so different than the people in the Midwest. it's I was like, have you met people from the Midwest? Because, I mean, sin is sin is sin. We all need, you know, we all have the same sin. We all need the same Jesus. Uh, and so there are a lot of similarities, but also there are some differences, but also just meeting a whole different breed of people, uh, have a lot of farmers in our church, blueberry farmers, hazelnut farmers, peach farmers, uh, also a lot of, we're in, uh, Oregon wine country. Uh, so we have some vineyard owners, uh, in our congregation. So it's been cool to just learn about a different area of the, of the the country. And then also obviously learning, uh, a lot over the past two years of ministry. And, uh, just like any other pastor has been, um, learning all sorts of, of lessons. And then, uh, the biggest change in our life is, uh, Last year around this time, uh, Rachel and I, we started the process of becoming foster parents and doing all the training and certification. And then in June, we went on vacation to visit some family and we came back. Uh, The very next day, the next morning, we got a phone call saying, hey, we have an almost five-year-old and a one-week-old for you. And, you know, usually you have uh, nine months to prepare for a baby. Uh, We had nine hours uh but uh it has been uh amazing you know it has its ups and its downs uh but uh it has been a a blessing uh the way uh it has challenged us the way it has helped us grow to see our four kids uh embrace these two young boys um we've we've had them for seven-ish months now and yeah it's cool to see uh god at work there and just getting a a chance to almost resetting the parenting and and seeing it through through different eyes. It's it's like I've thought about how great it would be to go back to the seminary. You know, I Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever Mm -hmm. had this thought, but it would be cool to go to the seminary and just view it through fresh eyes. Like, you know, I've, I've almost been in ministry for 15 years now and just the Oh, what a, my, my time there was wasted because I should have paid more attention to this or I should have really, I would have gotten so much more out of this class having had this experience. And having, you know, been a parent for almost 16 years now to now having another uh, infant in the house, just seeing parenting somewhat through through a different set of eyes, uh, it, it's been uh, very rewarding. And yeah, that, that's me, I guess.
0: And a reminder to our listeners, as we hear things from our pastors around the world, around the country, especially, uh, pray for you know the churches in Oregon, like he said, sin is sin is sin. The the same proclamations needed, the same forgiveness of sins, and the same amount of prayer, really, because what well we all indeed need the help from our Lord, and also to pray for foster parents, as Pastor Koshman and his wife are going through that process of caring um, for other. Uh, children and walking them into their family, we pray for foster parents and those who are in the process of adopting as well. So, Pastor, as we look, go back to Matthew 18 this morning, can you begin our time in prayer?
1: Yeah. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to study your word. We ask that you would, uh, that you would guide our discussion and allow this time to benefit us and all those who are listening. We pray this in the name of your son,
0: Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text from Matthew chapter 18, send us an email. KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. Pastor, let's start this way. Um, we'll read all of our verses, which is chapter 18 of Matthew from, from verse 10 all the way to verse 20. Now, it might seem like there's those aren't many verses, which is true. But there's a lot here for us to be able to dig in um, to the depths of the riches of Christ's grace for each one of us. But also, some I think, some very good practical advice for us as we live out our Christian faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor, let's begin. I'll read verses 10 through 20, and then we'll come back for some of your first thoughts. So, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, chapter 18, beginning at verse 10. So it, is not the will of my, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. These are our words today, um, words of our Lord, I should say. And Pastor, everything happens in a context, and there's always a background, there's always general themes. How do you want to start us off today so we start off on the right foot?
1: Yeah, I I think it's important to look at the the greater context, because when you just look at these uh, 11 verses not in their context, it, it can really seem like there are separate passages. we got something about sheep. And we got something about, you know, confronting uh, a brother who sins against you. Uh, but if we look at, you know, the greater context, we see how these things fit together. And and one of the things that, that triggers us that we need to look at the bigger context is just how the, the passage starts. It says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Well, mm-hmm. if you're just starting there, your first question might be, well, who are these little ones? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who, who is Jesus talking about here? And when you take a, a step back... Uh, you know, looking at the greater context of just chapter 18, you know, you see that coming off of the transfiguration in, uh, in verse 17, uh, you know, the, the disciples begin to have this discussion about who is the greatest, uh, and so Jesus, you know, teaches them about that, and he brings forward a little child uh, and puts it in the midst of them, and he says, uh, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And and he's pointing to you know this little child a, a helpless uh, a child, uh, and and so he gives this caution here about you know see that you do not despise uh, you know what does it mean to to despise well on the one hand it you know I think the NIV translates it as to, to look down on mm. uh, I, I think the the note in the Lutheran Study Bible talks about. Uh, not causing them to, to sin. Yeah, it says that, you know, to cause a fellow believer to sin. And, and that really fits in, in, in the context of Jesus talking about the temptations to sin. And if you cause one of these little ones to sin, you know, that it would be better if some bad stuff happened to you. Um, but yeah, so, so Jesus is uh, talking about not despising the little ones uh, and talking about how their angels always see uh, the face of the Father who is in heaven. Um, and then he goes into this parable of the, of the lost sheep. And as, as you look at, that, uh, at the parable, he, he begins it by, by asking, you know, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And it always makes me think, you know, well, how would you answer? Uh, you know, first of all, I've never been a shepherd, so I don't know what uh, standard shepherd procedure is. Uh, but I did work at the YMCA throughout my uh, years in college. I worked with the, the 10 through 12 year olds during the, the summer day camp. And, mm-hmm. you know, for the record, I never officially lost a kid. Uh, but, you know, I, I I may have, you know, temporarily misplaced one, uh, you know, from time to time, you know, either at the roller rink or the amusement park or on the playground and the do- just looking up and saying, wait, where, where is so-and-so? And, you know, I didn't necessarily leave the 99 to run off and go find the one, you know, I made sure that there was either a junior counselor or one of the other counselors was there to, uh, to make sure that the rest of the kids were safe before I went off and started trying to to find uh, the the, the missing child. And as I look at that, like in the biblical context, I I wonder, you know, does that make me one of the hired hands that, that John, that Jesus talked about in, in John chapter 10, that, you know, I didn't lay down my life for, this, for the sheep because I, w- I was just a hired hand. Right. And then I was, I was thinking about that. It reminded me of a, a few years ago on Halloween. Uh, we were in downtown Forest Grove doing the trick-or-treating, going to all the different stores. You know, big crowd of people was all there. And Wiley, our youngest, he was, oh, maybe three at the time. Uh, and we were walking with us as a family, and we had some neighbors with us. And, and we were walking down the sidewalk, and we got to the street corner, And we stopped because we were going to turn to the right and cross the street there. Well, unbeknownst to us, Wiley just kept walking. And in a huge crowd of people, a child that's, you know, barely knee high can get lost very easily. And we quickly said, where's Wiley? Well, you know, maybe I shouted back to to Rachel or to the other kids to say, oh, hey, you know, make sure, you you know, you guys are safe. No, I dropped what I was doing. I ran ahead to go and find uh, Wiley. And when I did find him, uh, as Jesus talks about, he says, and when he finds it, uh, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. And when I got back with Wiley, yeah, sure. I was glad that the other three kids didn't wander off. And that, but, but my focus was the joy at, uh, at finding Wiley. And so that's okay. Maybe, maybe there is, uh, uh something to be said, uh, mm. with that. Um,
0: So, Pastor, as you say that, this, I mean, you just jumped right in. I love this, is that he is definitely showing one. I'm not exactly sure. I've read a lot of different commentaries on this. Is Would a shepherd have left one for the 99? We're not 100% sure, but we do know that his focus was completely on that one that was lost. And I love how you put that in context for us as parents, that even... Um, that, that we can relate with it, but at the same time that it goes well beyond that. So what does that tell us about our Lord Jesus that that we can relate with it, but it, it's even greater, his pursuing of us? What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, because I, I think, you know, we, we ask ourselves the question, well, what what are we trying to learn from this? And maybe something we think of is, well, how are we supposed to handle people who have strayed? Mm. Uh, uh, you know, and on the one hand, we can confront and try to restore them, and I, I think that's somewhat what our, our next section of verses is, uh, mm-hmm. is about, you know, uh, starting in verse 15, and that's a nice segue into that. However, in, in this passage, uh, Jesus is telling a parable, whereas in 15 and beyond, he's kind of giving a little bit more in instructions. And so, sure, we can learn uh, things from this passage. You know, we can say, okay, you know, the church shouldn't just be this, Safe and happy club. Uh, we should care about those who are missing. Um, but, but at the same time, I think there is a great danger whenever we place ourselves into the hero role of, of a parable. Mm. You know, I remember preaching on this text once uh, a number of years ago whenever it came up uh, in the in the lectionary. And as I stepped into the pulpit, I said, you know, I've got my flock here, uh, but who is missing? I, I'm sure we all can think of people who are not in church this time. I said, okay, well, everybody wait here. I, I, have, I have some houses I have to go visit. Uh, <laughs> Jesus told me just to leave this block here while I go and find all of the, the, the ones and, and to bring them back. Uh, but, but the truth is we, we don't have just one lost sheep. Uh, we have a whole bunch of ones that are all out there. In fact, even the people who are present uh, in the sanctuary on Sunday morning aren't always fully there. And, and so uh, we can end up just killing ourselves and, and stretching ourselves way too thin if we try to place ourselves into the role of, of the shepherd here. And I think that's even more so these days uh, when we look at coming out of the pandemic and in the church. Uh, I, I don't think I asked you about this earlier, but uh, what is your what has your church attendance been like post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic, you know, about what percentage are you of like your average
0: worship attendance? I would say, you know, now we're probably 15 to 10 to 15% less for sure. Maybe upwards of 25% less, maybe, but that's, it's hard to tell as you know, but I would say 10 to 15% less than we were pre-pandemic. You know?
1: Yeah. And, uh, and, it, the, and the numbers can fluctuate so much from week to week. And some of it depends on the, the size of your church There are times that we are like at 40% of what we were before other times we're close to 70% of where we were before. And, and I, I think there's kind of like three camps of people uh, these days, you know, there's the, the one camp are the people who are, they are fully returned. They are either there every Sunday or they're back to the, their normal, you know, two or three times uh, a month. There's the camp that occasionally comes back, you know, they they show up when their kid is signed up to Acolyte or Usher or uh, you know, maybe if you run into them at the store on Saturday, that oh, no, the, the pastor saw me. And so they, you know, guiltily show up to church on on Sunday. But then there's a whole group that has not been back at all. And, you know, for whatever reasons, there are, you know, there are people who have legitimate health concerns and you want to respect that. I, I don't know what it's like to have, uh, you know, a, a, a pre-existing condition or a comorbidity. I don't know what it's like to be uh old. I mean, I, I enjoyed the Super Bowl halftime show, so I guess that makes me kind of old, uh, uh, you know, but, uh, but people also have formed bad habits. Uh, maybe they enjoy online worship too much, or maybe some have, have found a new church altogether or have simply left the church. And when we place ourselves in the role as the shepherd and we place that full burden on ourselves, I don't think I'm the only pastor in the Lutheran church or in the church, you know, in, in general who constantly thinks about those who have not yet returned and the, the stress or the guilt or the whatever about the, the people who haven't come back. And so on the one hand, uh, we need to alleviate ourselves as that, you know, from that savior role that, that Jesus is the shepherd. Uh, but also just a quick aside a quick PSA go to church people <laughs> your pastors <laughs> miss you so 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 much and if there's some reason that you haven't been coming back to church at least contact them let them know uh, you're thinking of them let them know that you're okay uh, okay that my little PSA is uh is over there it's well so have to remember that
0: well received. Oh, go ahead It's well received pastor as you as you said beautifully when we make ourselves to be the hero of a parable, then we're, we're, we're losing, I, mean, I wouldn't say always, not hero is a wrong word, but if we put ourselves into it too blatantly, we lose sight of the implications of this. So if, if I am the shepherd who pursue, pursues his sheep, we will not make it. This, like you said, it's like me being in church on Sunday morning and saying, "All right, if some people aren't here, I'm gonna leave now, and uh, and then we'll we'll see you later." Well, that's not really our calling. That's not our vocation at that point. But we do see the foundation of why we do go and care for people, even when they're not among us, or try to reach out for those who love us. Why? Because that's what Jesus does for us. That's our foundation. That's our hope. That's our strength. That is absolutely everything. And especially, you put in context, like you said so beautifully, of the little ones, that he kind of shows us that if he's going to go for the little ones, guess what? He's going to go for the big ones. And, uh, and, and it's kind of funny, too. We went, haven't got there yet. But he's kind of like, this is what I'm doing for the little ones. How about you big ones start acting like you should be? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's kind of this amazing um, back and forth that we see the Lord bringing us through. So, Pastor, we have uh, about four or five minutes left before our break. I really want to make sure we're focused in on 10 through 14. So any other highlights you want to share with us in those first um, five verses?
1: No, I, I think, again, just the the balance of definitely keeping Jesus at the center and seeing what he has done for each of us as the lost ones, but also I mean, learning some stuff from it and what encouragement we can get from it. I remember uh, a book I read, we read at the seminary for, I don't know, some class. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was by a, a church growth guy, a mega, uh, mega church pastor guy, interesting stuff in it. But one thing that he wrote that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and he was talking about reaching out to, you know, to new people. And, and he, he said, well, when you start trying to reach out to new people, people are going to obviously say, well, what about the, pe- the members who we haven't seen in a while? Shouldn't we reach out to them? And, and he wrote a line, something like this. He said, I was called to feed sheep, not herd goats. And he said, you know, and he just seemed too dismissive of the people who had, you know, gone astray and to say okay well yeah so maybe you know families have left but look if we put all of our effort over here maybe we'll get 15 new families uh and then we'll have a net gain and and again some of those 10 families aren't coming back perhaps and and i can't kill myself trying to focus all of my my energy and, and my meaning into to reaching them at the same time we are called to be under shepherds and these people are under our care and so we do want to, to reach out to them. And, and it's great that we have the people who are here, who have returned, who are, you know, contributing to the life of the church. But what about those uh, who are not? Just like with so many other things in Scripture, finding that balance of, okay, what am, what am I, what am I being called to do? At the same time, I know that the law is either going to lead me to false pride, like, man, I am doing a great job of this. Look how many I've brought back in. Right. Or it's going to lead me to despair and just saying, look how many people still aren't back. I, I'm a failure. Uh, and so take the focus off of me uh, and place it on Christ and rejoice in the work that he has done.
0: And that's wonderfully said. I think one person had said that that comparison you know, the comparisons, a thief of joy. And so we can also sneak this into our lives, too, where we start comparing and saying, well, I brought 50 more people back to church, and that person only brought 30 back to church. And it's the same issue that we're having um, that we think, Oh, well I brought them back. And clearly this parable also teaches us that, listen, guess what? Jesus brought them back and he rejoices (laughs) over his work of bringing them back. And for us, what we do is celebrate with the Lord really not celebrate us, but all glory be to him. So, Pastor, we need to uh, take our break right now, but I want to touch more before we get to the next piece, um, and starting in verse 15, but we're going to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 18 with Pastor Nick Koshman, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We're studying Matthew chapter eighteen with Pastor Nick Coshman of Saint excuse me. I keep doing that, Pastor. Mount Olive. <laughs> There's no Saint Olive out there. Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Oak Grove, Oregon. And Pastor Forest Grove. Forest, Forest Grove. Grove. Did I say Oak Grove? Oh yeah. my goodness. I think I changed it on you. Yes, Forest Grove. You know, you didn't know where it was to begin with, so I'm maybe somewhat justified. I, I don't know. I, I
1: will <laughs> grant you a dispensation for that
0: so. so Forest Grove, Oregon. Very good. And Pastor, we have you know, we've I think we've really touched on verses ten through fourteen well. But I wanna make sure just one more time, is there anything else you wanted to highlight um before we move on?
1: No, I, I think I think we're good moving moving okay. forward. Uh starting at at verse 15 and just kind of taking
0: those next few sections. Now, reminder to our listeners, Matthew 18, like I mentioned at the introduction, Matthew 18 is a very important piece of what we'll call throughout the history of the church called excommunication. And this is something where the church will practice something that is, is true, and it is something that's part of our lives, that if somebody has walked away from the Lord, it's our job as Christians to go to them and to care for them. And if they completely deny the faith, They get what traditionally has been called excommunication, where they are no longer seen as part of the community. Now, that can be verified and manifested in many different ways. So I don't want to get too far into the weeds of that today. But number one thing that we see from the words of Jesus is how we are to care and love for our brothers and sisters, ones who have who Christ has died for, many of them, most of them, baptized into Christ, if not all of them, and and how do we respond to this and make sure we do so in a loving and caring way, but also sometimes we have to be up front. And so just keep that filter on, once again, seeing that our Lord Jesus pursues us and in response to that grace from our Lord Jesus, we therefore love and care for one another. So, Pastor, I'm going to read 15 through 17 and come back and let's, let's, let's dig deep into this. This is very important for us as one's baptized into Christ. Verse 15. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, Pastor, this, I mean, we could take many different avenues on this. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, I remember when I, I first encountered this passage, I, I think I was in sixth grade at uh, at Our Savior Lutheran School in Arlington, Virginia. And, uh, you know, just going through various Bible studies and the, the teacher shared it with us and kind of talking through this idea of, well, how do we handle, you know, conflict? And and I'm sure there was a greater message to it as well. Uh, But I I think uh, there were some of us who have received it kind of, you know, with the, with the message of uh, snitches get stitches. Uh, You know, don't, don't come and paddle to the teacher. Uh, You know, don't bother me until you've gone through all of these things. You know, go, go settle it yourself. But of course, you know, we think that Jesus has given us this, this perfect system for how to deal with conflict or how to deal with when somebody uh, sins against us. And like our fallen nature, we like to take any sort of system we have and, and mold it to our liking and use it to, you know, put people in their place. So I can, I can come and get you. And if uh, if I go, as long as I go through the right number of steps, I can finally get to the point where I can fully, you know, drop the the hammer on you. Uh, But I also think there is a lot to to learn and, and to benefit from in what, what Jesus says here. And, of course, this passage goes really well with, with the Eighth Commandment and worrying about uh, not just spreading false testimony against your neighbor but but protecting your neighbor's reputation. And so why, if, if I believe that my neighbor has sinned against me and my brother has sinned against me, why do I go to him just between him and I? Well, again, it's to, to save their, their reputation. I don't need to announce to everybody else, what terrible thing this person has done. Uh, maybe it was a misunderstanding and they have an opportunity to clear it up. Maybe they didn't realize the, the harm that they were doing and they have a chance to repent. Uh, I think also maybe selfishly speaking, what if I, I could save myself with this? What if I'm wrong? What if you didn't do what I thought you did? And if I went and wrote a blog post or, or something, or I started tweeting or, you know, writing something on Facebook about how awful this thing that Brady did and I can't believe it. And, and it turns out you misunderstood the situation. and You didn't do any of that. I've got egg on my face. Yeah. But if I go to you you're wrong, you have the opportunity to repent and, and, Saved your reputation. But also if I'm wrong, uh, you know, I, I have limited the damage there uh, that I have kept my wrong just between uh, you and I.
0: And this is where, I like how you said that, because this is not only good practice for Christians, you know, who see the foundation as a Christ who pursues them, but this is just good practice for a human being, right? Is that if, if you hear a rumor, which we do all the time, and instead of us posting it on Facebook or messaging um, a whole bunch of other people or telling a bunch of people that you go to that person yourself and you want to hear the story. You want to make sure that everything is in line, um, not to attack people, but, but to hear the whole story, to make sure that everything, um, that you're hearing it correctly. And unfortunately, sometimes you do go and it is true and then you have to do more. But, but here, it's just good practice for us as human beings, so Pastor, I want to I want to stick with that. Like you said, is go to them one on one, and if they listen, you have gained your brother. Uh, any thoughts on verse fifteen? Just that that brings us back to that joy of Jesus when He brings back that one lost sheep. Any any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, I think yes. This this goes back into how these two sections fit together. That the whole goal is restoration. Jesus, the shepherd, goes after the one sheep, not to punish it or uh, for for straying away, but to bring it back to the flock. And the purpose for us confronting a brother or sister who is in sin is not to punish them or belittle them or put them in their fit, in their place. It's to restore. It's to restore them. And I think that's something that we've lost in our culture today. We, I said, we, we've lost the ability to allow people to be wrong that, like, if you're wrong, if you said something offensive, or you've done something offensive, you know, the point of me bringing it up is to show how horrible you are, and there, you know, and cancel you, you know, there's no way you can come back from this, and you need to know exactly how bad you were. No, we, we don't want to bury this person, we want to bring them back uh, in, into fellowship, and that's why also when, if that initial encounter doesn't go well, Jesus encourages us to, to bring other witnesses, and, you know, it's not to say, hey, I've got some big thugs with me. I'm going to pressure you into doing the right thing. It's, again, understanding. And, and is this what really happened? I'm saying this, you're saying that. We have some other people who, again, might te- might tell me that I'm wrong in, in how I'm understanding the situation or also might be able to help confront you. in that way, if, when it goes to the level of, of the church or it, it gets out wider, there, it's not just a he said, she said, or he said, he said. But there are other people who are involved in this process. And then ultimately, uh, it talked about uh, telling it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a
0: tax collector. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean, Pastor? Because, because well, well it, let, me, it, it, let me start here. Is in our culture, we're like, oh, Gentiles. Okay, well, most of us are Gentiles. And tax collectors like, but I like my tax guy. Like my tax guy is great. What do you mean? So, so when he says that, that that's pretty strong language. What is he actually saying? Just treat him like a, a tax collector or Gentile.
1: Well, it, it, it's an outsider, you know, there in the Jewish thought of that day, there are two kinds of people. There was Jews and there was everybody else. And so, you know, as an outsider and the tax collectors were working for the Roman government and oftentimes ripping off the people. So they were not very like uh, uh, people. Uh, but so w- when when we talk about treating them as an outsider, it, it's interesting to to see how various people uh, take this passage. And I remember uh, one professor at the seminary talked about how the, the easy answers lie on the far extremes, whether we're talking about uh, – I mean, I, I don't need to go down, down any other rabbit holes, but uh, I recently finished up listening to uh, – uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, that, that podcast put out by Christianity Today, mm-hmm. uh, and, and one of the things they talked about was the the heavy-handed, excessive church discipline, and I, and I remember also reading blog posts from the time, talking about people's experience there, where if people you know fell from grace, or they were caught in some sort of sin, and they didn't <laughs> repent in the proper way, they were shunned, and because the church— it, the, the church was such a community, and things were done so heavy-handedly. It was, hey, not only is this person outside of this fellowship, but outside of church, you shouldn't even be talking with these people or socializing with these people. And there are words in Scripture that can lead us to think that that is a, a good way of handling this. You know, I remember uh, in First Corinthians chapter uh, 5, I believe, Paul talks about judging people, and he says, don't judge those outside of the church. But, but what about those inside of the church? We are to judge those people. And if there's somebody who considers himself a brother, but is doing all of these, these things, no, we, we, we send the, we send them out. Uh, and so, okay, well, should we be doing that? And there can be an extreme version of that. On, on the far other side of that, uh, on one of the people actually who was interviewed uh, in the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, mm-hmm. Tony Jones, I remember I was at a youth ministry conference and I saw him speaking, and this was when the emergent church thing was starting. And, uh, you know, he was talking about, well, yeah, treat them like sinners and tax collectors or, you know, Gentiles and tax collectors. Well, what did Jesus do with Gentiles and ta- tax collectors? He hung out with them, man. And so, you know, so invite them to church. And it's like, okay, so we, we don't treat them any any differently? We, we, uh, and I and I asked him, I said, well, what about what Paul says in First Corinthians 5? And he said, well... I'll take what Jesus says over what Paul says, as, you know, as if you can have the Bible, you know, fight against itself. <laughs> one of the, the things I found really helpful uh, in, in here uh, is reading through Dr. Gibbs's uh, book. Uh, and and he taught uh, his commentary on Matthew's gospel. Uh, and he addresses this issue and he says, you know, instead this pericope is about one thing and one thing, only caring for the needy, the wandering, the sinner, uh uh the sinner the sinning brother or sister and he talks about uh letting not going past what jesus's words actually uh say i'm trying to find uh, uh where did i sorry i underlined it somewhere um oh it says uh, jesus seems intrinsically uh, uh these verses seem intrinsically liable to overinterpretation. let him to be to you as a gentile and a uh, tax gatherer should be read at face value and taken no further. And so it's not, well, we want to be light about this or you know heavy-handed and shunning. It's just, what is a tax collector and, and, and a Gentile? They are outsiders, they are not inside of the fellowship. And just like those outside of the fellowship, I shouldn't lord my righteousness over them and how great I am because I am part of the fellowship. But I also shouldn't lie saying, oh, yeah, everything's fine. No, no, we're, we're all we're all one big happy family and there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. I, I, I treat you and I care for you just like I would any any, any other unbelieving neighbor. I, I'd want you to be confronted with your sin, not for the sake of being confronted with your sin, but so that you could be confronted with the Savior who died for your sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I again, I, I think it's important that all of our motivations throughout this whole process is, restoration is bringing them back into the family. I have had situations where I have confronted couples and talked about various lifestyle choices they've had and and, and said, well, what do you think this means about, you know, coming to the Lord's table? Th- this part of your lifestyle is, is in contra- uh, you know, it, it contradicts what Christ says, uh, you know, man and woman, how they should be living their lives. And the goal was not to, all right, and I'm banning you from communion because, Oh, it feels good to, you know, drop the ban hammer. No, it was so that I can get you to be restored into a right relationship and bring you back to the table. And the times that I've done that, fortunately, it's, it's worked out well each time, but that's because it was uh, approached with the idea ultimately of grace and not just judgment.
0: And Pastor, that is, is very helpful for us to get a few examples of this process and to keep it simple and that that's really the key thing i think uh, dr gibbs in his commentary speaks about that i mean when you when you really read matthew as he writes this, by the power of the holy spirit he wants it to keep simple because we while well, we try to make things too complex so basically you know there's someone who is sinning against you and you go and talk to them just to make sure everything's in order and if it if it's one of those repentance forgiveness types of things that happens if it does not work you go back and in love and care with the goal of a restored relationship with you and the Lord you bring others and then if that doesn't work you go to the church but the thing is not it's not like one time I did it we're done you know the second time I did it didn't work done let's go to the church go to the church Let's excommunicate this guy so we don't have to worry Strike about three, it. three, you're out. Yeah, you're out. Strike you know. three, you're
1: out. I've completed the formula. <laughs> now I am justified in, in shunning you. No. You know, oh. how many times do you forgive your brother? Seven times? Right. No. Seventy <laughs> you know, times.
0: Seventy times. Seven.
1: times seven, you know. Yeah. Seven. And, and so we don't just, you know, you don't want to overly formulaic size, whatever. Uh, Jesus is teaching here. It's not just, okay, I'm going once. I went twice. I brought the whole church. No. I, I want to constantly go to this person because even you know the Gentile, it, it, the idea of the Gentile and and the tax collector is not that you are forever uh, shunned and condemned. It's I want those Gentiles and those tax collectors to to be saved to come to to the flock. And right. uh, so even if it takes going more than three times, I should be trying to go more than three times.
0: And one example that I that I have, and I want to hear if you have an example. That is actually not me. It was a brother pastor who told a story that during his eight years of ministry in one place, that he had three excommunication situations. And one of his comments was, some people will say, well, how come we don't excommunicate like we used to? And he said, I can tell you why we don't as much as maybe we, quote, used to. It's because it's very emotional. It's very trying. It's very troubling. And usually it's a case where there is a blatant, Um, sin that has to be addressed. And one example that the one example he gave was that this gentleman had cancer and, and they had a benefit for him and at that benefit it got done and, and it raised a lot of money and and for his treatment. And then it was found out that he didn't have cancer. It was simply a way of him trying to get money um, from the church. And that led them down this path, you know, that pastor went and talked to him. He didn't repent, went back with the elders. He didn't repent and then he was brought before the church and said, "Listen, you know you need to repent over this, or we're we're worried for your soul." And I don't remember how that all turned out, but that's one example that is very heartbreaking. That no matter, even if he would repent at the first time, how heartbreaking that is, emotional. So we do not go into this with with humor whatsoever. I mean, this is this is real stuff. Where if people are lying to that level, or even a small lie, as we know too, that. We pray for people's souls, along with our own, because we're always, um, we're always on the edge, if you will, uh, of sinning in ways that can lead us away from the Lord. So we trust in the Lord's grace. Pastor, do you have any examples uh, for our listeners today?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think, again, going back to what I said about the easy answers lie on the extreme. And, uh, you know, a heavy-handed approach to this and, like, you know, let's, let's purge the church. Let's get the people who haven't shown up. Uh, you know, who haven't been in the pews, you know, even in the years prior to the pandemic, let's, let's, you know, cut the, cut the, you know, the deadwood. Let's, let's, it's only weighing us down and and we got to confront them and then, and then get them out. And if somebody's doing something bad, these people are cohabiting Uh, this person, you know, I've seen some of their posts on Facebook. I I know what sort of political views they hold. Let's, let's cleanse this place. Uh, And and the, the other extreme is the, Hey man, we're all sinners, you know, looking at, at this, upcoming sundays uh gospel lessons you know judge not uh yeah and those are easy answers but how do we handle you know the middle 80 percent of of the situation and it's hard not just because you know you mentioned it being draining uh on on you to go through that but also in our the the church today well first of all just culture doesn't want you know you telling me what to do there would be a lot of people in the church if you said hey we're doing this it would be oh well you're just trying to you know flex your your authority and you're overstepping your bounds and who are you to do that uh but and you'd be the bad guy of the story but also with the church today i were to confront a couple uh about living in sin well the sad truth is first of all they might be able to just go down the road uh a little ways out here it's a little bit further than it is in the midwest to get to the next lutheran church uh but they might be able to find the the another lutheran church and if the if the brother pastors aren't in communication with one another this couple can just join the church and not have any of their sin uh confronted them and the other guy's just happy that there are more people in in church or if you go outside of the lutheran church well you know what you were mean to me you said mean things I don't want to confront this this style in my life uh, or again, you know, crimes I may have committed. I don't want to have to publicly, publicly repent of them. So you know what? The Baptist church seems pretty friendly or this church has several hundred or a couple of thousand people. And I can just be an anonymous person and, and go there. And so, well, I don't want to lose you if I come down too hard. Maybe I have ruined the opportunity for me to be able to continue to walk alongside of you and share God's word with you. It's like if you have a, a, a child who struggles with addiction. Well, what, what do you? What's the right answer? Do you let them live in your basement uh, for the rest of their life? Or is that enabling them? Well, what if you come down with a hard hand and, and you kick them out of the basement? Maybe that's the kick in the pants they needed, and they're they're come to Jesus moment, and that helps. The, you know, that is the law on them, and they it causes them to fix their life, or maybe it causes them to, to spiral out of control. If I confront these people too heavy-handedly, am I driving them away from my life, and I now have lost the ability to, to speak to them? Perhaps, or it's exactly what they needed. And if I approach them with a the soft hand, am I enabling myself to continue to walk with them and share the truth of God's Word with them? Or am I enabling them to continue to live in their sin? And, you know, if you got the right answer, I'd, I'd love to hear it. You know, I, I, I wish there was a, you know— Jesus tell me exactly what to do. I, I can do either one. Just tell me which one's the right one and I and I'll gladly go and do that. I will
0: be as nice or as hard as I, I need to be. Um, and, and this is but, uh, this is why when you heard this for the first time at your Lutheran school, it, 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 we, we want to make it really simple. Snitches get stitches. you know It's just like, okay, I'll just take that and run with it and it's very difficult as you as you've recaptured is what is the right answer? Which for us as Christians, what do we do? We go back to the word, um, we do a lot of prayer, and, and ultimately what we lean on, and you've, and you've pointed us to this so many times already, is you go back to the shepherd who, perceive, who pursues his lost sheep. And Lord, give us wisdom on how to do that, because there are times where we need to pursue very hard. And there's other times we have to be incredibly patient, and that's exactly what captures what you're saying, and and in each case is incredibly emotional. Like that pastor, a friend of mine, who 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 mentioned the, the struggles that are, are within those situations. So it, I, I appreciate you you showing us a struggle, not to try to dismiss any bad behavior, also not trying to make sure that we're doing everything with the grace of God um, uh, leading us, and so. Yeah, you know what? I kind of want to get to verse 18 because it gives me a little bit of uh well, uh, hope is not the right word, uh, a little bit of something tangible to lean on. any, any thoughts? Are uh, you ready to go to 18? Yeah, sure. All right. Let's let's go let's read the rest of our verses here, 18 through 20, as he gets to what we often will call the office of the keys. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth Shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three on earth, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Pastor, before we get to the two or threeness that we're going to speak about here, if we could do verse eighteen, it is something that often is called office of the keys. What does that mean, as in context of Matthew eighteen?
1: Yeah, so you know we, we get the the term the office of, of the keys um, from a, a prior interaction that uh, that had uh, no not, yeah that said mm-hmm. Peter had had uh, with with Jesus after confessing him his Christ and he says talks about the, the the keys of the kingdom will will be given to him and, and the idea of binding and loosing uh, and uh, so he told whatever we bind on earth the sins that we say no this is bound to the same thing is going to be it's going to be true in heaven and whatever you loose on earth uh, will be loosed in heaven and as I was looking at this passage I thought okay well what is the purpose of a key now obviously you think okay well what's the locked doors I and mean, that's what we do when we leave our house we lock the door to try to keep people out uh, and whatnot or if you have you go to the gym and you, you lock your your, your valuables in, in the faith to try to keep them safe to try to keep, keep people out of it well this past Sunday uh, I, I left the church office to the the old parsonage, separate building from the church, uh, to go over to the church. And of course, as I stepped outside, I felt my pocket and I realized I did not have my keys with me. Uh, And that reminded me of a couple of years ago, the first time that I I locked my keys in the office, I was leaving for for work and I had my my messenger bag with me. And not only did I lock my keys in the office, I locked my cell phone in the office as well. I thought, what am I going to do? Fortunately, I had my iPad and I could got onto Facebook and put out a call for help. And somebody eventually came and and, and let me in. But after that I I set up a heidi key somewhere on on our church campus. And so after I left, you know, this past Sunday and locked myself out of the office, I said, oh, I am so glad I've got that key there. Because that key let me in. And so and I think that's one of the important things when we think about the office of the keys. Sometimes we we get this you know, we, we, we push against our view of like the, the medieval Catholic Church and, the, you know, trying to or, you know, the Catholic Church and Luther's days and this emphasis on, well, we're keeping you out of heaven unless you do these things. And, uh, and you know, when we talk about the office of the keys with, with compromise and sometimes there's especially they come from a more evangelical background that, well, what do you mean? You're standing between me and God. I have to come through you. And it's like well, no, we don't want to. Let's not focus on the idea of, of binding. What about the idea of boosting? Like I've got this key here that lets you. Pre- I've got this key that you know lets me back into the office. Yay! I was happy about that. Um, and so we have that that awesome gift, that awesome responsibility to be able to loose people from their sins that Christ gave that to the church uh, to, to proclaim to people.
0: And so, Pastor, as we as we read that that the. the, the This key opens the the doorway to heaven, if you will, to forgiveness of sins. Very vital that he shows, well, there's a way for this. And it's called the office of the keys, and he gives us that responsibility. And that's something that we've covered in Matthew 16. You've recaptured that beautifully with keys, because darn it, I lose my keys all the time. So it definitely is an important one for us to remember, because I give thanks for that when I have my keys. But then also there's a common statement, I want to get to the end here, 19 and 20, that we have a few minutes to cover that in here, it speaks about where two or three are gathered. And as I mentioned, many times this is kind of a quip we'll say when someone's drinking coffee. Oh, we're having a good time, talking about Jesus, having coffee. Well, wherever two or three are gathered, Pastor. But how would you talk about verses 19 and 20 when he when he, he emphasizes, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. What does that mean? What is he getting at?
1: Yeah, I, I think we like to take Jesus' words and, and twist them to accommodate uh lifestyle or what we want to do and to justify our own living. So, you know, well, I don't need to go to church, uh, you know, whether it's the, just the generic, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I, I can, you know, worship God outside or, you know, hey, there are two or three of us here. And so us, our little gathering uh, together, that, that God's right here with us. Um, that's not, you know, we, we don't need the, the the church for that. It's like, no, we, we need community. God, not God didn't... Jesus didn't say these verses, you know, to to justify us uh, removing ourselves from the the wider congregation. In fact, you know, this percopy is about trying to get those people who have removed themselves um, from the flock. And it's uh, the, we're trying to bring people back into it. It's it's in this context of community that we are confronted with our sin, or we are set free uh, when we've come to repentance and having that accountability. Uh, is good because that accountability can ultimately lead to that freedom uh, in the gospel. Again, it's not just oh, uh, I'm just going to find two or three randos and and we are coming together, but at, but at the same time, if you find yourself in a position where you don't have this greater assembly of the church, you no, know, God can work in that um, in that as well.
0: And that's why you know it's very important and and you said this so well is it's 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 not about counting the numbers um it's about showing us that Christ is with them like right? Christ is the focus of this as it was in the parable of the lost sheep you're not the hero because you have two or three people or you gather them together the hero is Jesus who has brought these folks together and and this is why we don't define the church as to the number of people but we define the church Based upon the gifts that Christ gives, that is showing us that He is present there among them. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. As we look at the parable of the sheep and the brother who sins against you, and the two or three are gathered, how would you encourage our listeners with this minute left and summarize our time together?
1: I, again, going back to my my PSA uh, <laughs> <back> of <to> church, <laughs> uh, I, I know that that worshiping in your PJs uh, can be fun. And, and watching stuff online. And it can be a chore uh, to, to get moving. I'm not trying to guilt or shame anybody. Again, I don't know what various medical conditions people might have and their level of risk tolerance. But you know, this, my, my newsletter article was kind of all about this. Uh, but just, the pastor misses you and wants to see you. The, the, the people, the, the, the sheep in the flock, the, your brothers and sisters uh, miss you and there is stuff that you bring when you are there. Uh, yeah, and that's not totally specific to this passage, but it's just <laughs> something that's really been weighing on me. And uh, I don't want to rail at my people uh, too much because, well, they're my people. And, I, you know, I don't want to just do that. But so for the sake of the other pastors out there, I want to <laughs> encourage their uh, people uh, to, to come back to church, to, to get in the fold. And, yeah, I just miss <laughs> people. <laughs> and And I love seeing people who haven't been back in a while. Uh, you know, when Jesus brings them back, you know, it will be there will be that that rejoicing. Uh, so, yeah, go back to church. Your pastor misses you.
0: Pastor Nick Koshman of St. Uh, t- I did it again. Mount Olive <laughs> Lutheran Church <laughs> three three. in Oak Grove. No, not Forest Oak Grove. Forest Grove, Oregon, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 18. Pastor Koshman, thank you for bringing us his gifts thank
1: you so much for, for having me. It was a pleasure to be here with you.
0: I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.